Coaching Inside the Box. A youth soccer coaching podcast. A Brit, a Brazilian, and an American discuss culture and environment and the impact it has on youth development. Can you coach inside the box? Hello and welcome to another rousing rendition of your favorite podcast, Coaching Inside the Box, episode number 57. Uh, Philippe, Andy, welcome back to the frozen tundra that is Kansas City uh, these days. Uh, I think on my drive-in this morning, which was a very slow drive-in this morning, um, I, th- I think the my temperature gauge in my car read minus 6 degrees, and I thought, what an awful time to be alive. How are you guys? What Co- is cold? What? What do you think I think this time of year? <laughs> this is just what, like Rio, right? What am I doing here? <laughs> every time, every time. I, those are the moments that I wonder myself, what am I doing with my life? But at the end of the day, I come to the facility and see kids playing soccer, even in this cold weather. And I'm like, eh, it's, it's okay. Yeah, because I, I, I remember when I first came to Kansas City and I decided to walk from my apartment to Oak Park Mall, which was about a mile. No big deal. My head froze. <laughs> I had no that explains that a lot. <laughs> and I had no concept that a head could freeze. You know, my ears went first, and gradually the rest of my head froze. Yeah. You know, and you know, and you know, I had to get a taxi back. You know, because I wasn't going to do it again. You know, after I got there. You know, so I learned the essential nature of headgear. You know, in weather like this. I was chatting to a buddy of mine who was at the convention last week, uh, and his flight back on Sunday, um, I guess there was a, a giant group of Zambian coaches uh, that, had come to, uh, <laughs> that had come to the coaches' convention, um, and they were, I guess, maybe quite the hit at the coaches' convention, because I saw them on a lot of the United Soccer Coaches uh, tweets and photos that they were tweeting out. Um, anyways, they were on some tour of the United States, these Zambian coaches, and like through U.S. club soccer, somebody was bringing them to Kansas City for a full week. And so they were sharing the flight with my buddy. And my buddy was like, they have no idea what they're in for. They didn't have coats. They didn't have any of that stuff. He asked oh them dear. if they'd ever seen snow. And they were like, what's snow? I mean, no concept that once they landed, they <laughs> might as well be on the surface of Antarctica. Um, and so anyways, if you see Zambians wandering around looking cold in Kansas City this week. Yeah, but my uh, dad served in the Second World War in, in Ghana. Z- Oh, really? You know, and, you know, he said that all, all of the natives didn't have shoes in those days. You know, they just bare feet. Yeah. You know, and, they, you know, they had no need year round for anything to protect their feet, you know, especially against the cold because there was never cold. Well, presumably these Zambians were wearing shoes. Um, they were definitely not wearing gloves, hats or coats. Um, <laughs> yeah, poor guys. Can you imagine? <laughs> I, I remember going to a game as a coach. You, know, you remember those, those days when I used to coach eight teams simultaneously? Sure. And I was literally at the park, at Heritage Park, before they had all these lovely, you know, turf complexes in Kansas City. And uh, and and I, I'd gone out in this beautiful balmy weather in the morning and a front came through and the temperature dropped like 60 degrees. And I, I, was, I had young teams in those days, and every team that turned up for the next game, I went through the kids' bags, and I pulled out anything that I could actually put on, you know, and it was all like for 10-year-olds and 11-year-olds. So I'm wearing this, you know, these, these tiny shirts, you know, just to keep warm, and I went home, jumped in a hot bath, and I remember I, 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 I ran it as hot as I could stand, you know, and I jumped in the bath, and I turned it lukewarm. 
immediately because <laughs> I was cold to the core. Luckily, I was really fit in those days. Today, it would have killed me. <laughs> the youth soccer coach dies on the field from hypothermia. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was close. Yeah, just think you guys should have had it easy all these years. Well, I'm headed to Florida this week for an event, and I think the high, I think the temperature at kickoff for Saturday morning is is somewhere in the high 30s, low 40s. So, um, that's balmy. Yeah, it should be a nice, nice trip to Florida. <laughs> well, um, well, welcome back to uh, to Coaching Inside the Box. Uh, we're going to dig into, as we mentioned on the last episode, uh, we're really going to kind of dive into um, uh, Legends for Life and a lot of the, the the content that Andy's working on on that on, on the second edition of that book, um, talking about how soccer can be used as a vehicle for for teaching life lessons, specifically giving kids a platform to become brave, creative leaders um, for life. And we're really, I mean, all of these are, are, are topics that we talk about nearly every episode. We're going to unpeel that layer um, uh, or that onion a little bit, uh, layer by layer, to understand it to a greater to greater degree. Today, we're talking about creativity um, and creative curiosity specifically. Andy, how do you want to start um, this specific um, uh, episode? Where were you thinking? I'm going to start with a few uh, one-liners. Why are pirates called pirates? <laughs> if that was the joke, that was great. Hopefully these jokes are better than the ones you, you shared before we went on air. Why are pirates called pirates? Um, I don't know. They just are. <laughs> I want to know how that connects to your creative career. It doesn't. <laughs> Believe me, there's absolutely no connection. What do you call a soccer player without a nose or a body? And nobody. Nobody knows. Yeah. Um, you know the old saying, the early bird gets the worm, right? It's a good one, right? Sure. I'd rather sleep in and get pancakes and coffee. I'm sorry. In some people's eyes, <laughs> the next one is, in some people's eyes, throwing acid is wrong. You get that one? Uh-uh. No. Acid in the eyes? Oh, forget it. When is swimming... The healthiest form of exercise. Um, always? No, when you're drowning. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that was pretty good. That was pretty good. And, and one-liners. People who think they know everything are a great annoyance to those of us who do. Isaac Asimov. Incidentally, one of the m- most amazing minds of all time. Him and Carl Sagan. The stuff that they got into in terms of you know the universe is mind-blowing. People should read it. Was that like some uh, casual flex? Because I'm feel, yeah. feeling fairly confident that 99% of the people listening to this podcast don't know who either of those people are. Yeah, well, you could have just made that up, especially those names. Yeah, the, probably look at some vodka. And you, you and should, you should. <laughs> Isaac Asimov wrote all sorts of novels, books about. I think the I maybe have heard his name, but I try to I try to ignore the incredibly famous author. You probably okay. heard no, I read of a bunch of his Isaac. books as a kid. You know, I, I got into that stuff at about age 14. Uh, and, you know, the guy's a genius. Uh, next one. Most of life is like being a sled dog. If you ain't leading, it's a crappy view. That's Lewis Grizzard, the uh, journalist, correspondent, writer. Very famous. Uh, this one's Steve Jobs. I like this one. I've heard of him. Yep. Why join the Navy if you can be a pirate? Wait, that's really his quote? Yeah, that's really his quote. That was the inspiration for the joke today. Uh, no, but okay. you know they are related by the piracy angle. 
Um, and this one, this guy used to be the Prime Minister of England. A leader must have the courage to act against an expert's advice. You've got you to break something to make something, right? Yep, yep. You know, so, I like that one. So, uh, you know, I wasn't particularly fond of him as a prime minister, just his personality. What's his name? Who was it? James Callahan. I don't know him. Either. He was the uh, the prime minister back in the 1960s when I was a kid. Okay. Um, you know, so anyway, just some, you know, some, some things to get people thinking. And, you know, I, I wanted to kick off, you know, with... You know, getting back to the serious so stuff. So this is the answer to the question that I asked 10 minutes ago. I don't know. I forgot what the question was, okay. but that happens at my age. <laughs> <laughs> very good, very good. Not like he cares about <laughs> the questions. He already has his plan. <laughs> I just blunder on. <laughs> uh, we think we know what we mean by character, but we don't always mean the same thing. Interestingly, there's one common thread that runs through most definitions. This is where we hark back to the past, to a golden age, when humans overcame physical and financial deprivation by using their inner resources. We cite Abraham Lincoln as an example of rustic simplicity, who by sheer determination and character pulled himself up by his bootstraps and left his mark on the world. Lincoln's trilogy of traditional farm values, one, hard work, two, self-motivation, three, self-sacrifice, were developed on family farms without the luxuries of modern life. His family's hard scrabble agricultural environment nurtured in him a deep toughness that to this day underpins many assessments of what defines character. Having said that, we no longer live in that world. Kids today grow up in relative ease and comfort, which means that we must build their work ethic, self-motivation, and spirit of giving in more intelligent ways. This is where childhood pursuits that optimize firstly bravery, secondly creativity, and thirdly leadership become vitally important. These three defining components of character can be developed in ways that are significantly more enjoyable than 19th century farming. In the KC Legend Soccer Club, we first focus on teaching the most creative, deceptive dribbling and finishing skills and help our players develop the bravery to go for it and go it alone because these skills and the willingness to take risks with the ball provide the roots from which hard work, self-motivation and self sacrifice Lincoln style will grow. Here's a little poem I came up with. It's simplistic in form, but sends a powerful message. Play one-on-one -on -one to have some fun. Anything fun is well begun. Well begun is half done. Half done is worth a ton. Worth a ton is a home run. A home run brings out the sun. A day in the sun means you've won. Only the toughest kids place number one. So it's going at it from a fun angle. It's going at it from the beauty of dribbling and shooting, you know, but it's coercing kids into being tough. It's coercing kids into being leaders. That's the point, you know, and hopefully, you know, people get that, you know, because we can't just throw them out into the farm, you know, and expect them to get tough like Lincoln got tough 
you know, and I worked in a butcher shop when I was a kid, you know, and I cut my fingers, you know, every other week, you know, picking meat off of the bones of carcasses in horrible freezing conditions. And, you know, one time, you know, I've got the scar on my finger to prove it. You know, um, I, I literally sliced so much of my skin off of my bone, you know, and my fingers were so cold. My fingers didn't bleed until I got home and I warmed them up, you know, and they wouldn't stop bleeding for hours, you know, and I didn't go to the hospital and get a stitch. You know, I just bandaged my finger until it healed. You know, and those were the days, you know, and I didn't have it anywhere near as tough as my father who went out to work when he was 12 or my mother who had to look after the family of seven siblings because she was the oldest. You know, when she was eight and nine, she started looking after her siblings while her mum went out to work, didn't go to school, couldn't read or write. You know, so I had it easy compared to my parents. You know, well, these days our kids are mollycoddled, you know, so we've got to be more intelligent about how we approach it. You know, and that's the message that I wanted to kick this podcast off with. Well, I, I think it's a difficult thing from a from a coaching perspective to specifically connect this to my experience coaching kids in the way that we coach kids is kids kids want it easy, right by nature. Like every time they show up, the the, the immediate gratification of a session is they want to know what we're doing in the session and how difficult the session is physically going to be and emotionally going to be, right? Um, and and by definition, in most instances, the kids are, the kids prefer like. Um, fun days, as, as, as we call them as kids or, or um, uh, as we sometimes refer to them now, just like easygoing fun sessions. But kids also aren't dumb, right? You stack one fun day after another, after another, after another. And kids, despite wanting that immediate gratification of something easy, something fun, kids recognize that without the really difficult hard work sacrifice of really getting physically exhausted in a session, it's actually not of great value. And so from a coaching perspective, particularly particularly our younger coaches, I think we oftentimes have to get into their ear that the purpose of our sessions is to be really difficult in the most fun um, uh, aspects of the game, dribbling and shooting. But kids should be tongue-dragging tired, and they should be kicked in the, in, in the teeth, uh, uh, proverbially, a few times to help them gather that those sessions actually are of value and they're putting the work in. Because that putting that work in makes, makes the kid want to continue to come back. Yeah, and I think a lot of it also is the reward that they get after they put in the work. I think when you're able to show them that if they put in the work when they go to game day, they're going to be able to actually beat the defenders with skill. They're going to be able to compete physically and all that. And all of that becomes more fun because they're competing. They're, you know, they're having success on the field in game day in practice itself like when a kid starts they might be struggling with a move or two with their first touch and as they put in the work and they're dedicated you know they put in the work at home then even in their practice they start you know uh, succeeding a little more and among their peers they start standing out a little bit and I think when as a coach we demand from the kids but every time they show that they are progressing or they're trying and they're moving to the right direction you're praising them you know and you're instantly rewarding them um, for their work then they recognize the value for sure that they need to put in the work and the kids themselves they 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 want more so they're not going to be just more is more uh wanting the fun day but but it's deeper than that you know the the optimization of creativity and curiosity 
is paramount in child development. Children don't mind getting lost. They don't have to have an answer. They love the process of searching, discovering, and growing. However, conventional coaching discourages the creative and curious process in favor of tactical methods designed to win with little risk. Truly creative development takes place in the here and now while receiving novel cues and performing in unique ways based on that information moment by moment. No preset plan optimizes creativity. Great coaching is focused on helping children hone the most difficult creative techniques in environments that challenge them to go beyond their current ability and navigate new oceans, thereby driving that edge and pushing the frontiers of their potential in a positive direction. The essence of soccer discovery and creativity is what players learn in the discomfort zone as they enter the edge of chaos. It is here as they step out of the known into the unknown, unforeseen by any plan, that the greatest personal growth occurs. Make sense? Yeah, I think that, Andy, I want to linger on that point for a moment because I, I, first off, going back to my days playing for you as a kid, talk, you talk so often about getting out of our comfort zone, like so often, and you got to be on the edge of the edge of the envelope. And it's at the edge of the edge of chaos is where you're going to improve as a player. Um, And then I started coaching and then I started watching coaches that coached around me. And so often it feels like coaches look look to make their kids comfortable, maximize comfort um, within the session um, so that the session looks good, so it feels good, so the, kid, the players are playing with confidence, um, as opposed to pushing kids to that, to that edge of their comfort zone. I think really the, if, if, if I were to boil down our coaching style and approach to its critical essence, it would be, it would be that. It would be saying, kids, I, I, if you're comfortable, the session's not worth anything to me. I want you uncomfortable. I want it to look a little, little, look a little rough, to be a bit chaotic, because I want players to be playing past what they're necessarily comfortable or capable of doing on the front end. No, I think that's, that's incredibly valuable to say, because uh, you see a lot of times, you know, the coaches that you know, design that drill where the kids do after a few weeks, few months, and then the drill starts looking so good. And the now kids I'm going to videotape doing, it and put it on oh my social my God, media. And the, yeah, the yeah. kids are yeah. doing like the passing <coughs> movement and all that, and it's looking like they're little Barcelona kids, and the coach is just walking around and clapping, like, and everything's looking so great. And it, it's just, it's on ego, right? You made it everything. After the kids, you know, regardless of the philosophy, after the kids are completely dominating a drill, that's the when you should move on, add some things here and there to make it harder. It should never be looking perfect. It should always, the kids should always be struggling when they're doing everything because that's when the growth occurs. Like we talk a lot about pattern plays. Well, most pattern plays are, there are no defenders or there are shadow defenders or there's way less defenders than players with the ball, right? And... You know, it's not that challenging when the game is on and things matter and the guy is, you know, on your back, breathing on your neck and trying to eat you alive to steal the ball. You need you can't just, you know, casually do something. If you have to turn, you got to turn with a great fake to beat that, that defender. And you don't get that unless you really, really maximize, you know, the challenges for the kids, obviously depending on their level, their age and all that, the stage they are in the curriculum, but you're always pushing them, you know, as much as you can, getting them out of their comfort zone. You know, I mean, 
they they have to be struggling constantly in practice. Struggle, so struggle, they struggle. Can, they have to if they struggle in practice, you have what I always tell my boys, I'm gonna try to make practice harder than games. So with games, you're there, you have more space, you have more time and you know, you, you can excel. But here I gotta make it harder. So training great character and training great creativity is messy. But character is one of the few things that endures for a lifetime. The end of an athletic career may be years away, but the time to build character for kids is right now, you know, in everything. The redwood tree that stands the test of time must have strong roots, and so must children. If they don't begin with a foundation of solid character, they will have a hard time reaching their goals. If they can reach their goals with poor character, any perceived satisfaction and tangible benefit they receive will be fleeting. A century ago, 50% of all Americans grew up on family farms. Hard work in a close family environment was the norm. Today, less than 2% of Americans live on farms. With automation, the constant physical grinding challenge of family farming has disappeared. Society has changed. Children today are barraged with information from TV, radio, video games, cell phones, and the internet. These sedentary time suckers have caused a significant decrease in physical activity. Because of this, many children no longer experience the physical and character benefits of wild and wonderful dynamic play. I grew up in Oxford, England. My friends and I played daily pickup soccer games for hours. When we weren't playing soccer, we were playing tag or doing one of a hundred things that challenged our minds and bodies to work hard and grow. I love those games but don't remember them as easy. That would have taken much of the fun out of winning. Without realizing it at the time, we were involved in complex, enduring physical challenges disguised as fun games. It was here with my mates that I first had to be publicly brave and creative. And here I first flexed my embryonic leadership muscles. Luckily, it has become apparent that competitive sport is probably today's leading forum for positive character education. After all, where else in this pampered and sedentary society does a child experience a daily dose of fatigue, frustration, and light physical abuse sneakily disguised as wild and crazy fun? I love that, that you talk about sneakily disguised, right? Like when, when a coach is at its best, the, the coaches has has convinced the kids that they're doing something different than really, really difficult, challenging stuff. And I appreciate that. The fun games, right? Like what can we get from fun games if we if we make the fun games incredibly difficult? But the kids are having so much fun they just keep coming back to it. Yeah, you know, it, and this is intriguing because, you know, we have this incredible preschool program, Happy Feet. And, you know, and, and so let's look at Happy Feet, you know, and why it's been so successful. It's not an instructional program. You know, it's not do this, do that. Yeah. And so, you know, but let's look at, you know, today's pediatricians. They prescribe candy-like medicine because kids like taking bright-colored, sweet-tasting, animal-shaped candies instead of the nasty brown medicine out of a bottle that my mum forced out me when I was a kid. <laughs> Our Happy Feet and Future Legends curriculum employs a similar trick. Because that, that medicine was like the first type of medicine to humankind, right, Andy? That's why it was so poor tasting? That's what happened in the 1600s. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, really? <laughs> 
show, show. Andy was patient zero for penicillin. <laughs> <laughs> that was way after my time. And our Happy Feet and Future Legends curriculum employs a similar trick to making medicine taste good, look good, you know, and, and making kids want it, you know, um, because... Um, we want to make great ball handlers and goal scorers, so we trigger their imagination and captivate them with our story time with a soccer ball approach in which the soccer ball is Bob the Bobcat. Bob and his soccer coach owner, the kid, go on dribbling and shooting adventures that require ever-increasing levels of dribbling and shooting skill. As the weeks and months pass, the child's goal-scoring skills and love for being this Bilbo-like hero in a soccer story explode. Kids have way more fun when the hard work of dribbling and shooting is with a buddy called Bob the Bobcat and is disguised as going on an adventure. And, and that's what we do all the way through our curriculum. You know, we don't just go from happy feet into doing laps and doing push-ups and doing the grunt work of soccer just to get fit. You know, we do everything with the ball. You know, we focus on the two most fun skills of the game. You know, we shoot like crazy in our soccer boxes. You know, we dribble and attack in our goal mouth scenarios on our tiny fields. And every kid in our program gets to become a genius with the ball. But most importantly, we coerce them. They have fun doing it. We use fun and enjoyment as the motivator, you know, and as they go through the ever-increasing difficult phases as they get older and more mature, you know, that, that, you know, pure fun turns into fun using their incredible skills and going one-on-one in hand-to-hand combat and literally, you know, having after 15 rounds of one-on-one in an hour and a half practice, their tongue drag the field as they leave the field and Collapse, you know, onto the benches outside of the, the, the small field doors, you know, you know, but we coerce them. It's not like Abraham Lincoln. They don't have to work in the fields, you know, and, you know, and, and break bones and do all the ugly things that happened to farmers in the early days before they had all this wonderful equipment. You know, our kids, you know, do fun stuff, but it's tongue draggingly, you know, awesome i would say for these kids you know a lot of kids would say boy that hurt but they walk away proud they walk away knowing that they've grown they walk away having enjoyed you know the moves they did the goals they scored you know with a much better self-concept and when it comes to game day they're not nervous well having coached hold on i want to finish that thought okay they're not nervous why because they've been outside of their comfort zone so much already leading up to they're prepared yeah you know, you know, nerves come when you feel you're not ready. You know, and you know, it's you, you get stressed when you know you haven't done everything you need to do to prepare. You know, our players walk on the field and they're like, "I'm going to own you." When they look at the opposition, they've got this level of confidence because you know we've led them through all the fun phases gradually into the harder and harder stuff. But as we take them to the next level, the harder stuff is what they want. You know, on that edge of chaos, you know, they want that stuff because they know that they're capable of handling it with a short period of adjustment, you know, a hard work period, you know, but they know that they are special, they're different, and they're brave, creative leaders. Now, what what were you going to say? I was just going to take it back to the start of what you said about happy feet. Um, Having coached, I don't know, thousands of happy feet classes, I can tell you that that three and four-year-olds are having their most fun when they're 
out of breath and they're laughing. It's a combination of laughing so hard at the story or the joke that the coaches is, is taking them through while also being physically uh, tired um, and, and out of breath as a result. Um, and, and that's when you know you've got this three and four year old coming back, coming back, coming back again and again and again, drilling those deceptive dribbling and goals, goal scoring uh, foundational building blocks that, that lead them on to becoming truly an exceptional player at six or seven that hogs the ball because they're the best on the field that they play on. Yeah, it's, you know, how, how is it that Brazilians, you know, uh, through the decades have been such great leaders in the sport of soccer? I mean, they're born in complete poverty and they have to succeed no matter what. And, you know, they end up not feeling any pressure because they go through a ton of pressure growing up and they play street soccer. They play freely, but they're playing against kids that are older, against men, against adults. So they're being constantly pushed way beyond what probably should be reasonable for for those kids age and you know with all the things that are happening in their environment they are completely past the edge of the chaos you know in circumstances they're not actually positive but it builds something in them that combined with the creativity that they build to be able to succeed in that free environment that they're being obviously challenged with older kids and all that that combination was always what really, really flourished uh, the talent in Brazil, right? Here's my theory. Your culture in Brazil um, has, has, you know, is almost the golden key for Brazilian kids because they first learn to see themselves as capable of making a significant, positive, individual contribution. This rarely happens unless players view themselves as creative playmakers, Children who have perpetually and relentlessly been challenged to be brave, creative leaders believe they are unique and special, right? Mm -hmm. That's why Brazil's been incredible. They expect to lead. Those kids expect to lead. Phenomenal individual skills and the high self-concept that accompany them are central to personal success. If, as with what we do in the Legends Club, these components can be woven into the team and organizational culture, they become individually and collectively omnipotent as players trained to be individually brilliant in the legends philosophy mature it is the responsibility of the coach to teach how these elements of individual brilliance are combined with deceptive group play to make elite team synergy and game dominance a reality does that make sense think back think back to 1970 brazil and what they did in mexico Game synergy and dominance from start to finish. They dominated the opposition all the way through that tournament. I mean, in Brazil, we, we have kind of a say that says that, you know, the greats, they speak the same language, right? Which is the mm, soccer magic language, right? So you put the best players all together, you know, they're so creative. They look at each other. They they both understand, you know, the next level stuff and they're able to adjust, combine and, you know, and because they're, we always say, you know, there's no I in team, but, you know, a team full of, but you, you break down the word and there's a bunch of like little dashes, you know, that forms every single letter. So it's a bunch of ice, which makes sense. The best team is a team full of great individuals. So in any given time, if somebody's not having a, a good game or if you're shutting somebody down, you're able to adjust, right? In 1970, I, Brazil in the final against Italy, 
uh, Gerson used to play like the number eight, right? And you had Clodoaldo that played the six. They were completely collapsing on Pelé that played the 10 and collapsing on Gerson. Gerson told Clodoaldo, let's switch. So then I get the ball deeper, I give it to you, and they're going to follow me, and you're going to have space in behind in that zone between me and Pele, and we're going to be able to play. So it wasn't a Zagallo thing. As a coach, Zagallo recently passed away, Brazil legend, um, one of the biggest in the game. Um, but anyway, it wasn't his call. The players figured out because they were brilliant, right? And that's in 1970s before all the studies and zone 14s and all that kind of crap, right? So just the geniuses, because they're breed to think so differently, they're able to think, and in a World Cup final, have the personality, right? Have the, the leadership the yeah. of like, let's do this, right? And, you know, that makes a difference. It, it, it's intriguing. Uh, I want to read a couple of quotes to you. Uh, one by James Glyke, who writes in his book, Chaos. You know, very simple quote. At the edge... Life blossoms, you know, but really deep. Morgan Freeman, love him as an actor, says, if you're not living on the edge, you're taking up a little too much space. I like that quote. Can, you, like that can quote. you say with his voice? Because he has a very... <laughs> <laughs> if you're not living on the edge. That's <laughs> not bad. It's a, yeah. With a British like, accent, yeah, even. Yeah. He's, he's got a deep voice, hasn't yeah, he? You know? yeah. Uh, but the stretch involved with playing on the edge is the perfect metaphor for growth and discovery, right? Mm -hmm. You know, we can operate on a certain plateau for a time, but the urge to improve and grow is strong. Most of us have the desire to do things that deepen our knowledge. We are motivated to affirm and display our positive uniqueness. We wish to be seen as creative and deeply human. The willingness to engage and indulge in this creative curiosity can shape and mold true leaders, unite teams, and ignite organizations in their quest for a higher sense of vision, passion, and mission. This isn't about soccer. Mm -hmm. It's about life. Mm. You know, what these kids learn on the soccer field, you know, when they're three, you know, makes them leaders when they're seven or eight, you know, which makes them, you know, play at a higher level when they're 14, 15, you know, and, and maybe go on and play in college pros, you know, and skip the, pro, the college these days and go straight to pros or whatever, you know. And, but all the time they play a different game, all the time they're leading, all the time they're being creative, you know. And when they get out into the work environment, they want their say. They, they, they want to invent new things. They want to create. They, they want to bring new ideas to the organizations that they're involved with. And we have a philosophy that builds that character, mm -hmm. that makes kids leaders, that makes them want to be that leader, you know, and challenges them, you know, to step up and take their responsibility, take their power, you know, and help the world become a better place. I'm going to maybe go a little too far on a tangent, but I think that's something that we can do as coaches that can have a huge impact in the world. Um, you look at the world and depending on where you're born, that will detect probably your religion, probably your political view and, you know, views of many aspects of the world. So you're kind of you're kind of 
being taught what you have to think. That's how human nature works. And depending on the environment, that the microenvironment that you're in, you're able to start thinking a little differently, right? And break the mold and have your own view and a bigger, broad view of the world. So life is made of choices. Life is made of decisions. So any decision that you make, you have a good outcome or potential you know consequence that 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 can be hurtful so every decision especially big big decisions in life you need to have you know you need to be brave to make those decisions right uh, whether it's opening a business whether is you know doing at your job making an important decision that can change the course of the company anything in your personal life getting married having kids anything big big decisions if when we're coaching kids, we're not letting the kids decide, we're teaching them patterns, we're teaching them uh, complete structures, this is how you play the game. This is what an outside back has to do. This is what you have to do as, as a six. This is this is where you can do a move. This is where you have to boot it. This is where you have to pass it here. If you're making those decisions for the kids, how are they going to get it in the world and be able to decide on themselves when things matter. They're gonna something that is gonna be presented in front of them. They're gonna look where's coach, where's coach. You know, we need to give kids, even if they fail, especially if they're gonna fail, because that's how they're gonna learn. We gotta give kids that platform for them to experience, for them to decide, for them to deal with the decisions that were bad, deal with the failure, deal with losing an important game because they made a mistake. That's important because in life we're going to make mistakes that are going to cause problems, not just for us, but for other people. And we got to learn how to deal with that. If we, don't, if we protect the kids completely from all of that, whether it's for trying to have a statistical win or to protect them, you know, it's, it's not going to actually protect them for the future. I, I would like to note that it's on this day, January 16th, 2024, that after many long years for Philippe in the United States around American soccer fields and spending time with American coaches, that Philippe finally has, um, uh, has capitulated and has used the term boot it when referring to soccer. Uh, well done, Philippe. Congratulations. I'll get a certificate printed up for you uh, after the show. I, I want to key in on one line you just used. Kids are taught what to think, not how to think. Yeah, 100%. You know, and, and sadly, children with poor role models are often traumatized by failure. They become risk-averse and refuse to try anything new. In one of the great conundrums of life, a greater percentage of children are willing to take risks and fail, even though they are far less capable of success than their parents and teachers. Unfortunately, just when the much-needed magic potion is a healthy dose of adventure into the unknown, too many misguided adults leech this risk-taking superpower out of the childhood bloodstream through an overabundance of caution. Between boredom and anxiety is the launching pad where you press the lift-off button. Press that button enough and you will eliminate boredom. Between anxiety and personal growth is the edge where you will feel uncomfortable or a bit out of your element. If during this stage you are willing to embrace and master the awkwardness of new experiences, your skills will become, in time, so good that you will eliminate anxiety as a factor in performance. If you keep pressing that ignition button, pushing the edge, tweaking your skills after failures and attempting more difficult things, 
you will gradually transcend into that magical area beyond the anxiety and failure called flow. It is important to understand that the barrier between anxiety and expertise should be constantly pushed back at the edge of chaos, which is where most learning and growth takes place. Thoughts? Um, f- does that come from the book Flow that you've you've referenced a while for a while? That comes from a better book. What's that? My book. Uh, <laughs> but I mean the the, the, the your 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 term Flow. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't yeah. even know how to say his name, but you know, Mikhail uh, yeah. Mihaly is, Mi- yeah, is the yeah, last Mihaly, name. Yeah. His first name is just unpronounceable. Six Cent or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's you know it, <laughs> but but you know his books and I've read them all. Are phenomenal. You know, I mean, the guy is a genius. Yeah. You know, and you know, we've got to get into that flow. But the only way we get into the into flow is by doing difficult things. Mm. It's not by making things easier for kids. Mm. It's not by pattern plays. It's not by preset solutions because there's not a preset problem. Every problem in the game of soccer is different. You know, so you have to be able to improvise. So everything should be improvisational, and the skills that are taught have to be the skills that, that prepare you to deal with anything. They have to be the things that can completely fake out an opponent, create illusions, you know, make the opponent think you're going one way as an individual, uh, you know, as a partnership, as a pair, you know, as a team, you know, and instead you do the opposite. You know, and so the opposition is now five, ten yards out of position sure. because the whole thing was an illusion that you created because you looked at life differently mm-hmm. from, you know, the usual, you know, coach team that plays to a pattern, that plays to the coach's style of boring, dare I say it, orchestra music instead of playing jazz. You know, jazz is where it's at. Jazz is improvisational. Uh, improvisational and a great jazz band does not play the same piece of music twice. Mm. A great orchestra plays the same piece of music again and again and again without a mistake. But that's robotic. That's not Brazilian. You know, I mean, that's kind of German, isn't it? You know, the, <laughs> you know, it's, you know, I love Franz Beckenbauer as a player, maybe the most creative German ever. But, you know, how does Franz Beckenbauer or Bobby Charlton, possibly the greatest British player ever, how do these players, you know, it's not about the country, you know, it's about the culture. How do they compare to Grincha, Pelé, you know, to Zico? You know, to you know, the original Ronaldo, you know, to Ronaldinho, you know, to Neymar, it's not even close. Sure. You know, the, you know, the, we have in Brazil and you know, in their history, these incredible artists. You know, you know, we have the Picassos of the game of soccer. You know, in German, in Germany, that they have, you know, limited the piano players. carriers. <laughs> the, the, the piano you know, players, you know, piano it, carriers. It, you know, it, I I worked for a while as a you know a, as a teenager 
as, as a bricklayer's assistant, right? You know, and I was I a bet hod you were carrier. The best bricklayer assistant that has ever lived. I was the most bored bricklayer's assistant <laughs> that has ever lived. I, I learned once again that that's something I never wanted to do again. You know, <laughs> which had its value because I never went back. You know, and, and you know it. You know, but you know, we we, we don't want to develop. Bricklayers, sure. uh, you know, hod carriers, you know, bricklayers have some skill. Hod carriers don't, you know, it's just grunt work. You know, we want to develop the artists of the game, but they also have that work ethic. You know, they're like Abraham Lincoln in terms of their ethic because they were brought up on a farm, you know, and they had to work incredibly hard, you know. And Abraham Lincoln, though, went on, studied to be a lawyer, you know, and, and built this incredible resume of abilities, you know, that led him to be, you know, Arguably, the the parent, the the president, the the you know um, the that brought in the biggest change in this country, you know, ever, you know. So, <clears throat> but we want our kids to be creative. We want them to be hard workers. So we have to find different ways to make them that creative hard worker. The beauty about this is, you know, that we don't rob them of anything if we coach kids this way. We make them able to participate and lead on wonderful teams, you know, as they get older. Does that make sense? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Andy, as we march toward a, a, a wrap-up from this perspective, I'm, I'm curious, like, how, how do you think you put a bow on, for our listeners, how, how, how important this piece is? Well, let, let me jump in there, because, you know, this is a short one, because we've got deadlines, all of us today. So, you know, we're coming to the end of the podcast. Um, the, the, you know, the, the, the second from last message of this section is people first. As Tom Peters, the business guru and author, put it, I hate to use the word luck. People first and decent behavior toward all your colleagues is vital. People first is at the heart of success. Execution is a hundred times more important than strategy. Any idiot with an above freezing IQ can write a gorgeous strategy document. Tom Peters has nailed it. Any player, you know, with an above average IQ can play to a pattern, you know, but execution is where it's at, you know, skill. You know, that ability to transcend, you know, and beat people and do incredible things are incredibly important. Translated into soccer language, Tom Peters' quote, you know, means players first. Dribbling and finishing techniques are at the heart of individual-centered execution at the edge of chaos. Without great creative technique, kids are trying to play with ankle cuffs. Forget space or half spaces. It's about dominating extra small spaces, micro spaces. Most coaches are so ego-centered that they ignore a child's individual need to develop the skill and confidence to dominate opponents in the micro spaces in the goal mouth. Rather than training micro space dominance on the ball, bad coaches, and I mean bad coaches, I'm sorry, focus on one in a million combination patterns involving pre-planned robotic, predictable off-the-ball movement and easy passes. And actually, I'm not sorry. You You know, these people are ruining kids when they make it easy for these kids. What a tragic waste it is of a child's time. The misguided coach teaches robotic passing and movement instead of the deceptive dribbling and goal-scoring skills needed to reach the summit of the game and life. And lest we forget, 
children need to dance and hit bullseyes to enjoy the climb. Can I make a point? No. Half space. <laughs> What's a half space? It's a joke is what it is. <laughs> Micro spaces. You know, it, it, the greatest dribblings <laughs> operate. Space is a space. What's <laughs> yeah. a half space? It, it, micro space is what the great players in world history, you know, learn to dominate. Uh, okay, so, you know, to, to end the, the episode, because we've got to run today, you know, let's not forget that it is the willingness to promote, nurture, and praise the creative individual elements of effective leadership that provide the springboard for team potential. In the KC Legends Club, creative individuality is the quality that we highlight and nurture above all others. The Legends approach expects players to be tremendously creative and risk-oriented under a myriad of intense pressures. Rare is the developmental environment that combines such tremendous complications with the expectation of an innovative response. The Training Soccer Legends methodology teaches the greatest amount of personal creative knowledge and skill. This individual platform guarantees enduring individual and team success and fulfillment. The Training Soccer Legends philosophy is proudly designed to mentor and motivate children to pave the way for others. We train players who become champions of character, leaders in life, and legends for life. I like that. Well said, Andy. Well said. Uh, Philippe, Andy, another great episode in the books. Uh, Until next time. See you guys. guys.